Good morning, Bentry. It's good to see you guys here. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. So let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. Anybody want to study the Bible this morning? That's what we do. We learn about God and we learn who He is. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to start there, but we're going to move pretty quick into Romans chapter 12 uh, before bouncing around a couple of places today. Just a reminder, this series is not for children with young ears. Uh, those from middle school on up, this would be a great uh, thing for them to hear, uh, especially today. And just to let you know, next week we begin a new series, a Ceaseless Prayer. It's about you praying for your future and you praying for your family's future, and then resting in the sovereignty of God in that. Uh, this is going to be a good thing for you, so come next week. It'll be great to bring uh, kids to this. Uh, some people do this, not everybody, but some people bring their kids to uh, one service, and then they take them to the, the kids program for the other service, and then they stay and help out and serve in some capacity. Maybe you think about doing that. Uh, let me just give a plug right quick for men's boot camp. Uh, listen, dudes, uh, uh, it, you need to go to this. This is like an important thing for you to do. This is like uh, if I uh, could just like speak into your life as your uh, brother in Christ, this is something that you need to do. Uh, it's been life-changing for many men, including myself. Well, today we come to the end of our series, God, Sex, and Finding Redemption in a Broken World. Uh, if you've missed a week, go back and pick that up on wherever you get broad, uh, uh, podcasts from uh, or on the Bentry app. You can do that as well. In this series, we've studied God's Word, His original plan for sex, and specifically inside that marital relationship of one man and one woman, how sex functions, how it's supposed to function. We've studied and tried to understand both with people inside the church and outside the church when they sin in at different areas sexually, how are we supposed to respond? What does the Bible say on that? But today, what I want us to ask is a type of question you may be struggling with. And the question uh, is a type of question because it kind of comes in a few different formats. I say this because several variations of the question exist. See if you've asked this, uh, this type of question before. It goes like this. How am I supposed to live my life and find happiness, find joy, find completeness if uh, I'm attracted to someone outside the biblical marriage definition? Like, uh, how am I, if I'm attracted to someone of the same sex, and what am I supposed to do? Or, I'm not attracted to just one man, uh, I'm attracted to a bunch of men. Or, I'm not attracted to just one woman, I'm attracted to a bunch of women. I, I mean, this is a big question. Um, what if you are married and you go, I'm not sexually attracted to my spouse. What do I do? How do I find happiness in here? And, I, and am I not allowed to find happiness? Because I had this sexual attraction outside of the biblical marriage? This is the question, right? This is the question. And think about it. The real question is right there. Does God want me to be happy? Does God want me to be happy? Or maybe uh, you've come to this conclusion. Maybe you think, well, God doesn't want me to be happy. Have you wrestled with that? I, I've had this conversation with both men and women. Tears streaming down their face going, I, I can't be happy in this life. Because I know what I want. I know my desire. 
But they're Christians, and they don't know what to do. Well, Hope, you can see, as a pastor uh, today, I have a difficult job, right? I've got a difficult job. Uh, I won't say it's been an easy week. I won't, as I've prayed and studied for this. Uh, I've, I've gone in depth right before you came in. I've been in, in my office on my knees in prayer for you, for this message that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. Um, I... I it's difficult because I know I'm going to be attacked from uh, two camps for sure and maybe three. Uh, one side, one camp will say there is no right and wrong. They'll say uh, this is, you, you, you just can't say there's a right and a wrong. You know what I mean? And funny enough, uh, they will say that I'm hateful uh, for saying there's a right and wrong. They'll say I'm immoral for saying that there is a moral standard. I find that very interesting. So there is no moral standard, but you think I've violated it somehow. The second attack will be uh, much more damaging. It will come from Christians. It will come from a progressive stance of a church. Uh, they will claim to be coming from the same point of view of Scripture that I am. But don't be fooled. They're not the real church. And do not hold Scripture uh, any more sacred than Satan does. And, and hear me, those are strong words. Uh, and, and I mean them like totally. Because here's the thing, funny enough, they will accuse me of the same thing. But, but all of Scripture, all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation supports where we're coming from today. And not one supports their point of view. Uh, it's interesting, funny enough, as they uh, accuse me of that, they have to do these mental gymnastics to try to get Scripture to say uh, what it, it does not say. I mean, I've used this term in this series of uh, biblical origami. You know what I mean? Like folding pages of Scripture back and forth and kind of ripping some of those things out and saying, well, I guess uh, that the Bible doesn't say what it says. Two groups uh, will say that I'm a, what I'm about to tell you is based on hate, uh, but the opposite is true. They will say I'm homophobic. They will say I hate adulterers, um, but that could not be further from the truth. I love you. Do you hear me? I, like I love you. I really do. Um, I'm not afraid of homosexuality. I'm not afraid of homosexuals. I'm not afraid of adulterers. I, I, I'm not afraid of the sin, not even slightly. Um, in fact, the only thing that I'm afraid of is God. It's the only thing I'm afraid of, a holy fear. And if you wrestle with sexual sin, I, I fear for you in that same uh, fear of God because the world and a lot of screwed up uh, progressive uh, church leaders have sold you just a ton of lies. And I, I want to promise you that I'm your friend in this argument. Uh, God commands me to not only speak the truth to you, uh, but to offer uh, Scripture and along with that the grace of God contained in that. That's love, truth and grace. And you see, He loves you even more than I do. But here's the tension. I, I don't want people that struggle with sexual sins outside of marriage to leave here angry, to be offended. Or maybe you're a family member or a close friend. They struggle with some kind of sexual sin in, in this area. I don't want you to leave angry, but here's the deal. Scripture is inherently offensive. It just is. And, and to play like it's not 
uh, it would just be a lie to you and that would be like hating you by saying uh, what it doesn't say. I know some of you disagree with the truth of Scripture and it will offend. Uh, I just want you to hear my heart. The pain, the suffering uh, that we unpack here today uh, is real in people's lives. Uh, and, and so, uh, Christians, if you'll be praying for this, uh, this whole time as, as we preach, as we open God's Word, but my hope is that the pain is accompanied and replaced by hope. Because I think that hope is here in the pages of Scripture. I promise you with all my heart, there is redemption that can be found in Jesus Christ. There's grace, there's forgiveness, and there is a way forward. This is my point. It would be much easier for me to do like most churches and simply to not talk about this stuff because it's offensive. Uh, To treat it like, hey, if those people want to just go to hell, let them. I, I don't want you to, to, to hear that message at all. I, I, I'm going to fight tooth and nail for your soul because Jesus loves you. This is a real thing. God's love is real. The redemption of Jesus, it's a real thing. I've based my life on it. Changed lives. I've seen them firsthand. I've walked hand in hand with brothers and sisters. Well, we've seen all of this here at Bentry, and here's an uncomfortable part for Christians. Uh, We must tell the truth, amen? We must tell the truth of Scripture with grace, no matter who disagrees or what they call us, whatever names they call us. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we'll start out. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. For Christians, it doesn't matter how your emotions are on this topic. It doesn't matter how you feel about the topic. It doesn't matter if you feel tolerant or intolerant. You cannot act on your feelings. You cannot act on emotion. You have to act on what you know. Because you act on, if you act on what you think or what society tells you to think, let's be honest... It won't be love. In fact, let me just say, if you act on what society tells you, you will be hating. You will be exuding hate. Although it will come with a nice little mask of love. You cannot act on emotion, but only on what the Bible says. Someone say amen. Uh, Because if you act on what you think society tells you to believe, man, you're sentencing someone to untruth and possibly hell love only rejoices in truth it only rejoices in biblical truth real truth well let's go deep into god's word today Uh, make sure those bibles out we're going to cover a lot of notes you're going to have to write fast on this stuff but let's first go to god in prayer would you bow your head with me Mm. father god you are a good good god we ask you that you make your name great in our sight in our hearing Father, reveal your truth at our heart level so that we can make changes we need to make. Lord, our attention is yours. Our focus is yours. Our plans are just to seek you. So, Spirit of God, you are welcome in this place. Welcome with each heart. Uh, Guard my words, God. May only your truth and grace contact those that hear this message today. It is in the name of Jesus Christ. We all prayed and said, Amen. Amen. 
Well, let's start off with a beautiful promise for Christ followers. These are, this is for Christians. Watch here, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to the age, this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. One of the questions pastors get all the time is they say, Paul, I want to know the will of God for my life. Isn't that a question that we ask a lot? This says how to do that. He says, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Who would like to know the will of God? Raise your hand. And the rest of you want to be in the dark. Okay, that's fine with me. <laughs> if we start with wanting to know the, word, uh, the will of God, we've got to know the word of God. Um, and look, it's saying in view of God's mercy, we have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now think about this. Don't think of the wrong kind of sacrifice like Old Testament, like you kill an animal, you lay it on the altar and it bleeds out and then you burn that body there. That's kind of the old animal sacrifice. What this is saying is something different. A living sacrifice. He's saying you present yourself. It's something you do. You present. So what's hard about that, in a way, it would be much easier if we were dead, right? Because we just lay on the altar. We wouldn't move. Why? Because we're dead. But we're not dead, we're a living sacrifice because uh, think of this, we still have our sexual desires. We started this series off of saying we are sexual creatures. It is one of the ways we reflect God in his goodness and holiness. But if you're hearing me and you are alive, that's one of the ways we know, right? And the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar, Right? They keep crawling off the altar. You go, get back up there. I don't want to get up on the altar. Look how, uh, how does it say we offer our sacrifice as holy and pleasing to God. Write this down. To be made holy means to be set apart for God's purpose. Think of the words consecrated. Think of the words sanctified, hallowed, venerated, dedicated. To say you are no longer yours. You are set aside. Set yourself up on the altar. Go, God, here I am. To conform to God's commands, Jesus said to his followers in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commands. Meaning... To set ourselves apart from the world. Scripture is clear that we are to follow the teachings of Jesus and Scripture. And that is pleasing to God. And that is our true act of worship. Right? That's what worship is about. Giving our lives and not following our desires. Denying what your sinful flesh longs for. And that is if you identify as a straight or a homosexual Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern, in other words, understand what is good and pleasing and perfect will of God. 
What's interesting is that transform, uh, what it's saying is don't be conformed to the world. Uh, that picture there, the Greek uh, behind the words literally is talking about a mask that an actor would wear. Put on a mask that would be a smile or a frown. It's saying don't do what the world wants you to do. Don't put the mask on to say, oh, this is how I feel. Huh? See my mask? It's saying let God change you from the inside out and change your Face, not a mask. Here is the hope for all of us who wrestle with sexual sin. Um, God is offering to transform your mind so that you can know what is good and pleasing and perfect. And through that, know His will. God is offering to give you peace, love, joy, patience, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit there. By walking with Jesus every day. Now have you ever noticed what the world does to the Old Testament? Makes fun of the Old Testament. Just dogs the Old Testament all the time. They, they look at Old Testament scriptures. They pull them out of context. Almost always out of context. And they, they make fun of the Old Testament law of God. And they say, oh my goodness, can you believe they, they said that? And I would go, hey... Uh, so you're making fun of a loving God that's trying to protect His people that says, this is what you need to do to follow me. It's ridiculous. It's written to and for God's people because He loves them. Parents, you get this idea. You're trying to prepare your kids for the world and, and, and you set these commands in front of them and you say, you get down in their little face, you hold their face in their hand and you look at them and I say, I want you to listen close to me. I want you to listen very carefully. When God had delivered His people out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt, you remember He parts the Red Sea, they're in the desert. He, he is uh, taking them to the promised land through this desert, right? And He gives them the law. He, he's, he's like the, the father holding his kid's face in his hand. He says, I want you to listen to me. Listen to the commands in Leviticus 18, verse 24. God's instructing His people about sexual sin. Now watch this close. He says, do not be... Do, do not defile yourself by any of these practices. For the nations I am driving out before you have defiled themselves by all these things. The land has become defiled. Now that's important. The people have done the sins. These are not the Israelites, the people that are in the land where they're going to. He says the land has become defiled. Why? Because of what the people did. So I am punishing it, the land... Not the people. I'm punishing the land for its iniquity. Isn't that interesting? Now watch, watch. This is about to get gross. You ready for gross? Here it is. And the land will vomit out its inhabitants. There's a picture. But you are to keep my statutes and ordinances. You must not commit any of these detestable acts. None of the native or the alien who reside among you. In other words, anybody in your camp, you must not do what those people did that are about to be vomited out and then you're going to take their place. That's a pretty graphic image. The land vomits out its inhabitants. So what is the law that God has given? Well, there's many parts to the law. 
There are parts of the law that we're not under anymore, that uh, thing like food commands and cleanliness commands and ceremonial commands, but these commands are still in place. In other words, let me, let me tell you just, this isn't keeping the commands to be saved. These are the commands we keep because we are saved, because we love Jesus. This is the sexual stuff. Now, I'm going to summarize what these, this first half of this, uh, this whole paragraph, or this whole chapter is about. Hold your breath. This is pretty startling. Let me summarize this first part of this chapter. God tells his people, don't have sex with any close relative. Okay? Okay, that sounds like a good... He goes, well, let me get specific. Remember, God holding yeah, the, his children's face in their hands, right? In his hands and saying, all right, don't do this. He said, don't have sex with your father or your mother or your sister or uh, your mother's, uh, your stepmother, uh, your half-sister, your aunt, your uncle. Uh, you're not to have sex with a woman and her daughter and her granddaughter. That's straight out. He's saying you're not to have sex with two sisters or two brothers. You're not to, uh, with your neighbor or your neighbor's wife. Remember, all these things what have caused the land to, you can just, you just get that picture, can't you? Uh, don't tweet that. I don't know how you'd spell it anyway. But um, Now, remember, all these things are what caused the people to be upchucked out of the land, right? God is warning his people to not do this stuff. You get the picture? Now, but then it changes. There's a paragraph break there. And it's like God was real serious before, but now he like leans in and he's like nose to nose. He's like nose to nose. He said, now listen close. Pick it up at verse 21. He says, you are not to sacrifice any of your children in the fire to Molech. Okay? Okay? I've shared this before, but... Moloch was obviously a false god, but the people in the land before would, would have these giant statues, a little bit bigger than a man. They would heat the statues up with these great fires, and they would worship and do detestable things, uh, sexual dances and, and uh, before this statue. And they'd get the, the statue white hot, and then they would take the newborn baby boy, and as he's kicking and screaming, and they'd lay this baby boy in the arms of this white hot statue, and the baby would roast. And as the baby screamed, they would dance. God said, don't do that. Don't do that. He says, I love you. Do you understand? Don't do this. Everybody goes, uh-huh, Okay. What else does he say? He says, do not profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Now hear me. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to cuss. No, no, no. That's actually not what it's talking about when it talks about taking the Lord's name in vain. He says, don't act like you're one of my people and then live like you're not. He says, if you're my person, if you are my child, you live the way I tell you to live. Understand who you are. Do you understand his kids just say, yeah. He says, you are not to sleep with a man as with a woman. It's detestable. He says, do you understand that homosexuality is what made them vomit out the people out of the land? Pretty heavy stuff, but it doesn't end there. He says, you are not to have sexual intercourse with any animal defiling it uh, yourself with it. He says, a woman is not to present herself to an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. 
God lumps all this stuff together for a reason. By the way, one of the arguments of the progressive church is to say that God only says homosexuality is a sinful thing in a handful of places in Scripture. So we don't think He really means it. I'm going, oh, really, really? That's the argument you're going to go with there. So will you also argue that since it only says uh, don't sacrifice your children to Molech, uh, a couple of places that it's okay to do that? How about bestiality? Is that good? Is that, God mentions it less than homosexuality. What do you think? So I, I don't think that's a good argument. It just simply doesn't work. Parents, you get this. If you forbid your children from doing something, you lay down the law as a parent. How many times do you have to say it before you actually mean it? One time. All the mamas go, one time, one time. I said it one time. Now let me, let me, let me explode, uh, expose an eye. I'm going to learn how to talk. Let me e expose a lie of the enemy here. Remember, the enemy starts with the truth, slips a little bit of a lie in, but makes it a lie. What the enemy tells us is that you cannot pray the gay away. That's actually the true part. It's actually the true part. And in a sense, just uh, your actions of praying won't make you stop having desires for homosexuality or any other sexual desire outside of God's mar uh, marriage of one man and one woman. In other words, it's true that you can't pray those desires away. The lie, though, is missing what the enemy is not telling you about. The gospel. Hang on, hear me out. The fact that Jesus calls us out of death and into life is where we start from. Jesus tells us in John 5, 24, Jesus says, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Somebody say amen. This is good. Or how about this one? Jesus says in Mark 2, 17, he says, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I don't come to call the righteous but sinners. Hey, that's good news. Because we all be sinners. Right? None of you are good me either. Jesus calls us from death, and um, calls us from death and sin into life eternal. It's all God. We have been made right with Jesus. Romans five chapter one says this. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I love that. Do you see that? Your translation may say justified. That's a good translation. That's a legal term, not based on what. You have done. No. We are sinners. We are guilty. But if we believe on Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we are justified, declared righteous. We are adopted as children of God. I want you to see this. The guy comes in. He's a murderer. He's handcuffed, hands and feet. He walks before the judge. And they say, is he guilty? Yes, he's guilty. Can't stand up straight because he's all got all of his chains, right? And... Uh, the judge takes his gavel and he says, you have been declared, boom, innocent. And the, the murderer looks up and goes, what? Because he's a murderer, right? And the bailiff says, what do I do? And the judge says, take the chains off of him. Now, is the murderer any different than he went in with? Not in his actions. 
but in his guilty verdict. Does that make sense? Like he still wants to murder people. He's still messed up that way. Once we understand that we are loved by a decision of God, it's a legal term that puts us into the right frame of mind to start to have our heart changed. And we can battle against sin. Some of you, you need to hear this because you have gotten this confused in your mind or you've never had it explained. You think it's about a sex thing that we're talking about, but this is a heart thing. Let's talk about another big lie of the enemy. Here's the lie. That God didn't know what a committed same-sex relationship would look like. And the lie has begun to spread to polyamory. Some of you don't know what that is, but the sexual relationship of many sex partners into one group. Uh, this was in the New York Times this last week or a week and a half ago. Uh, they like to label themselves as uh, consensual, ethical, uh, and responsible non-monogamy. What a crazy thing. But this kind of sexual sin is not something new. This goes all the way back. We're talking uh, here about God's people willfully going against God's design clearly laid out in Scripture. The Apostle Paul warns this in the Corinthian church where this was taking place along with homosexuality. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom. Do not be deceived. No, no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified, there's our word, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You, you have to understand, all of those sins that he mentioned there, those people, some of those people had practiced those sins. He's thinking about people that have turned from those sins. Remember, this is written by or, or to all those who claim to be saved and follow Jesus Christ. Look at all those things in that list. You can't defend drunkenness. You can't defend verbally abusive people. You can't uh, defend swindlers. But somehow, somehow, progressive churches have tried to say committed adulterer, uh, adulterers okay because they really, really mean it. Or, or committed uh, homosexual Christians are not guilty because they're in a committed relationship. By the way, I don't know if you noticed, that blows that out of the water, right? Because it is... Men who have sex with men. It's talking about a committed same-sex relationship. But what happens when we're first saved? We are made right with God, but we are still in this messed up body. Think of the murderer, right? Standing before the judge. He's just been declared uh, not guilty. We have this sexual desire that is sinful though still. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 17. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit. Did you hear that? Our bodies desire what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want. By the way, you knew this scripture by heart. Oh, maybe not the address. You've just lived it, haven't you? Because I have. 
If you were a Christian, you already know what this is. We are at war with ourselves. Or if you are a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure fan, praise God, all three of us, he's talking about the evil other us's. Right? We're at war with the evil other us's. Or should I say the sinful way of life. So what's the plan um, from God that gives us this new mind and new will? Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. It says this, For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. Write this down. Write this down. God's will is our sanctification. The murder standing there that's just been justified, the legal term. Now, what is the will of the judge? That now you are sanctified. That you change your heart, change your mind. Our being made holy is not just a legal position of God, but a holy in how we live an eternal life. Where justification is a one-time event that God does on our behalf. Justification happens uh, when we are reborn, right? A regeneration, a new birth. That's what Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus when he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's justification, a regeneration. God implants the desire for you to turn to him even though you're messed up. What is sanctification? Let's talk about it. Sanctification, the Holy Spirit works into you to begin doing the works, to begin God's will and work for you and the world, to find and do God's purpose in the world. Now, in sanctification, the Spirit is working in you to give you this heart and mind and new desires, God's desires. Write this down. It's a little long. Write it down. It'll make sense. Sanctification is the process of the Spirit working in you and giving you a new heart and new heart, mind, and desire. Both justification and sanctification are based on the free gift of God's grace through faith. Both of them. See, some of you thought salvation meant I'm saved, my sins are forgiven, boom, I'm done. And you think that's kind of the ABCs of the Christian faith. But the gospel is the A to Z. Do you see how that works? We never lose the gospel because it is the sanctification. Where sanctification of God, our justification is a legal term, uh, is in no way our doing, justification. Sanctification is an act of our will. Now don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that it's only our will. Colossians 3, 5 says this. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Who's doing the putting away? We are. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Write this down. Sanctification happens as we work together with the Holy Spirit in our lives. You catching on? It's a battle. We put to death our earthly desires, not just pray our sin away. We go to war against the old self. We pray, yes, but we go to war against our old desires. We flee from temptation. We learn to watch for those triggering points that send us into sin. You know what they are, don't you? 
And as we mature in our faith, the grace of God, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow into every way into Him who is the head, Christ. In a way, you can say justification, that legal term, is monogistic, meaning it's all a work of God, nothing on our end. In sanctification, synergistic, meaning it's us and God working together in our lives to change our thinking. But really, the best way to think of it uh, is, a better way to think of it is Christ has won the battle for us. He has set us free. And as my faith grows, I am beginning to live a holy life. I'm active in living this holy life, doing the good works. The gospel is the starting point, and the gospel is sanctification that takes us all the way to the end. Even after our death and resurrection to heaven. And we see that in what we call God's glorification. Glorification. The law of God in the Old Testament says this is what God requires. And the gospel tells us what God has done for sinners. And the gospel then reveals now as we are saved sinners how we should now yield ourselves to righteousness. How we should live our life. Not so that we can be good enough to be saved. Oh, please hear me. We are already saved if we believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. We have been regenerated. What it's talking about now is how do we live? Write this down. Sanctification is about our mind and heart being made new. Brothers and sisters, so many Christians, listen, so many Christians get saved and they think that's all there is. Then they wonder why they cannot stop sinning. Because you never grew up. Did you hear me? You thought, well, I'm forgiven. When sanctification is working in a Christian's life, the world sees a different us. One that is not a slave to sin, but a slave to Jesus Christ. In other words, we are made free through both our justification and our sanctification. Hear me. The question that we started was, if, if I'm sexually attracted to something or someone outside the marriage relationship, am I doomed to not be happy? Am I doomed to live this life of misery? Write this down. God is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. He is more concerned about our obedience than he is our happiness. And you go, well, I thought God loved me. Yes, he does. He does. Because your feelings, your emotions, they change like the wind. Your desires can be rebuilt. Here's what I'm saying. We can't just pray the gay away. Or any sin, or, or sexual sin for that matter, any sin. We want what we want. We want sin. We have to grow the new us. This is why gay conversion therapy does not work. Because it's about changing who we are as an individual without God. It just simply doesn't work. We have to change our hearts. 
God raised us from the dead. Our sins are washed away. Then we can do battle against our sins, against our desires, and flee from those temptations that come at us. God wants us to live holy lives. But most importantly of all, we must pull close to Jesus. This is how we change our lives. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about sexual sin or any sin. This is how you live your life. Pulling close to Jesus. To fall in love with Him, with His words. To to do life the way He called His disciples to do. Truth, grace, forgiveness, doing life as a functioning member of a local church. Something that we've said here in this series is that if you believe a lie, it will have power over you as if it were the truth. Like we've said in this series, if you are locked in a cell, but you don't realize that the cell door is not really locked, If you never push against the gate, it will never open. Why? Because you never pushed against it. That is what sanctification is about. Listen to me. You are free. Just push against the gate. Some of you believed a lie that you can't be married so you can't be happy. I can't have romance, then I can't find joy. I can't find purpose. Let me just point out that that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. It just is. First, true happiness, joy, completeness, purpose can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every other human will let you down. They will. Straight or gay, it's just what it is. And second, although marriage is a gift from God, singleness is a gift from God. Oh, please hear me. I'm just talking people, not even sexual orientation or desire here. Singleness is a gift from God just like marriage, every bit as much as marriage, and it's not given out of a a luck of the draw like, bummer, you got singleness, I got married, right? That's not how that works. Just like when we can rest in God's sovereignty and who and when we're married, we can rest in God's sovereignty as singles. We can. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, I wish that all people were as I am. He's talking about single, being single. But each has his own gift from God. These are gifts. One person has this gift, another has that. What is the gift he's talking about? Singleness, right? In other words, Paul isn't commanding people to stay single. No, Marriage is a gift as well. But Paul is saying, just because you're single doesn't mean that you have been cursed by God and that you can't find happiness. That's a a prison cell you've put yourself in by believing a lie. Paul himself remained single his his entire life and he was able to use that singleness as a gift that you benefited from today with the scripture. Paul found his purpose in his singleness. And listen, God may be calling you to singleness. He may be calling you that. That's not, not just okay. That's a good thing if you were single. Now don't hear me. You go, hey, uh, I've been wanting a divorce so I'm going to get one. Now Paul said it's okay. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. Let's be honest. Although singleness is a gift, singleness is difficult. Singleness doesn't mean you have to stay single your entire life. God may have you single for a time and then lead you to marriage. God plans for you, God's plans for you may be that you have a spouse. He'll reveal that to you, but rest 
in serving him as a single person or as a married person as you are now. Here's the thing. We don't seek a spouse for happiness. We seek God. If we are married with someone who we don't get along with, we don't seek singleness either. We seek God. Does that make sense? We live in the already and the not yet. We can't say that enough. We live in a battlefield. Jesus has delivered the victory for us, but we've not seen the full victory yet in the meaning of how we live our lives until we see Jesus. Living in the already and the not yet means that while we are here on earth, we will always struggle with temptation. We will always do that. Let me address another lie from the enemy to our brothers and sisters that struggle with same-sex attraction or with uh, heterosexual attraction that is sinful. Look at this. Temptation does not equal sin. And you can also write, neither does desire. You can have desire for something that is sinful and not sin. Just because you were tempted to have sinful thoughts or even actions doesn't mean you have to submit to those temptations. And listen, temptations can feel like sin. They can. You can feel dirty. You can go, I'm already covered up. No, baby, back up. You can have wicked desire and the thought that pops into your head all of a sudden and be like, oh man, I've already sinned. But it's just a thought. And if you push that away, you have not sinned. By the way, we all have that. Every single person in this room. Here's what you have to do. Take those thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought captive. It's like, picture the guard standing there at your brain. Every thought, even the good ones, we go, we take it captive, we go, are you a good thought? Okay, you can go through. Bad thought? Ha! Ah, you tried to get through again. And you kill that dead thought that bad thought right there. Including evil temptation from the enemy that the thought that my, uh, that the desire is my enemy, uh, my identity. Do you catch that? The desire of a Christian is not their identity. Child of God is. Some of you are so immersed in the sexual sin that you have that all your thoughts revolve around this. But listen, that's not your identity. And God wants to give you your true identity. Christ followers, your identity, if you struggle with same-sex attraction, can I just give you a great book? This is a book you need to read. Good God, Gay Girl by Jackie Hill Perry. One of the best books I've read this year. And listen, I read about a book a week. So this is an excellent book. If you have a family member struggling with this, uh, this area, read this. I think it's good if you uh, know someone that's struggling in this area. I, just everybody read the book. Okay, she's an author, poet, spoken word artist, African American. I encourage everyone to read that book. Christian or not, it will bless you. Um, let me give you uh, a warning here as we begin to wrap up this series. Be careful of fear because it can stop you in your tracks. It can be a killer. Some of you are paralyzed with fear right now uh, over your sexual temptations or someone in your family. You're, you're struggling with that, that fear. Don't let fear stop you. God wants to set you free from that too. Rest in who He is. We are all sexual creatures, but if you are a homosexual, can I just make an apology to you right now? Some people in the church at large have been guilty of a false gospel 
I know I have at times. I call it the gospel of straightness. It works like this. Christians will say to uh, people that have homosexual desires, they'd say, if you could just try straight sex and try that and then fall in love with someone of the opposite sex, then, then you could be, uh, live right and then maybe you could become a Christian. I got to tell you, that is a lot from the pit of hell. We come to Jesus as we are. Like, I'm not trying to justify any sin. I'm just saying Jesus does the forgiving because he's good enough. You don't have to be. You don't have to be good enough. You can only come to Jesus as you are. Messed up, sinful desires. But I promise you, if you follow Jesus, he will forgive your desires. Psalm 37 verse 4 says this. He says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Don't miss the promise. Talking about delight means turning your back on your own desires. Taking delight in God, you turn your back on what you want. But what is happening is that when you take delight in the Lord, God is replacing your old heart and your old mind. He's giving you a new way to think. Some of you that struggle with a sexual addiction, some of that you need uh, to be able to Turn that over. You, you may have to live with the desire the rest of your life. All of us have sexual desires that are not in God's plan. But what I'm saying is there's freedom there that God can give you a new way to think. He can give you a new way to feel and act. Let me leave you with this thought. Christians are made um, free through both justification and sanctification. Both are a work of grace. And that grace, that love of God that we don't deserve one day, take us to see our glorification. Justification takes away our sin. Sanctification takes us away from our desire to sin. And listen to me, one day when we're in heaven, glorification will take all sin away. Even the desires. Brothers and sisters, it may not be long. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our prayer is that you would be made much of in our life. But God, I know that in my life there's been sinful sexual desire. And God, I know that, that there are people that in this room that are fighting to love you but have this desire to have sex outside of marriage. God, my prayer is that... Uh, even through these verses and this, this topic today, that you would set people free down that road to seek you. God, help us to understand that we are made clean in you. We have been justified. Help us to be sanctified. Give us new thoughts. Give us new feelings. Give us new emotions. God, I lift up family right here in this room that are that have family members that are struggling outside, having sexual desires outside of that marriage relationship. God, I, I pray for them right now that you would free uh, those family members from those desires. But God, I pray for the family members in here right now that you would show them what to say and show them what not to say. Keep their lips sealed when they need to be quiet and give them a boldness. Give them love. 
God, we repent of anything in our life that would make that, um, that fake gospel of, uh, of straight gospel a, a... God, just get rid of it for us. We pray against that. And God, that we would offer the gospel with our lives to our family members. God, I pray right now for those who are single. God, that you would help them to walk that road. And God, I pray for those who are married, that you would help us to walk that road. God, this life is hard. Living in the victory of what Jesus has done on the cross, but not seeing the result yet. God, help us to have our faith grown by doing the work that you have called us to do. God, I pray that you would make this, this church a city on a hill, that you would uh, bring people here because they hear truth and they hear grace preached here. Help us to live that out in our everyday lives. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you uh, know someone that's struggling in this area, I, just everybody read the book. Okay, she's an author, poet, spoken word artist, African-American. I encourage everyone to read that book. Christian or not, it will bless you. Um, let me give you uh, a warning here as we begin to wrap up this series. Be careful of fear because it can stop you in your tracks. It can be a killer. Some of you are paralyzed with fear right now uh, over your sexual temptations or someone in your family. You're, you're struggling with that, that fear. Don't let fear stop you. God wants to set you free from that too. Rest in who He is. We are all sexual creatures, but if you are a homosexual, can I just make an apology to you right now? Some people in the church at large have been guilty of a false gospel. I know I have at times. I call it the gospel of straightness. It works like this. Christians will say to uh, people that have homosexual desires, they'd say, if you could just try straight sex and try that and then fall in love with someone of the opposite sex, then, then you could be, uh, live right and then maybe you could become a Christian. I got to tell you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. We come to Jesus as we are. Like, I'm not trying to justify any sin. I'm just saying Jesus does the forgiving because he's good enough. You don't have to be. You don't have to be good enough. You can only come to Jesus as you are, messed up, sinful desires. But I promise you, if you follow Jesus, he will forgive your desires. Psalm 37 verse 4 says this. He says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Don't miss the promise. Talking about delight means turning your back on your own desires. Taking delight in God, you turn your back on what you want. 
But what is happening is that when you take delight in the Lord, God is replacing your old heart and your old mind. He's giving you a new way to think. Some of you that struggle with a sexual addiction, some of that you need uh, to be able to Turn that over. You, you may have to live with the desire the rest of your life. All of us have sexual desires that are not in God's plan. But what I'm saying is there's freedom there that God can give you a new way to think. He can give you a new way to feel and act. Let me leave you with this thought. Christians are made um, free through both justification and sanctification. Both are a work of grace. And that grace, that love of God that we don't deserve one day, take us to see our glorification. Justification takes away our sin. Sanctification takes us away from our desire to sin. And listen to me, one day when we're in heaven, glorification will take all sin away. Even the desires. Brothers and sisters, it may not be long. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our prayer is that you would be made much of in our life. But God, I know that in my life there's been sinful sexual desire. And God, I know that, that there are people that in this room that are fighting to love you but have this desire to have sex outside of marriage. God, my prayer is that... Uh, even through these verses and this, this topic today, that you would set people free down that road to seek you. God, help us to understand that we are made clean in you. We have been justified. Help us to be sanctified. Give us new thoughts. Give us new feelings. Give us new emotions. God, I lift up family right here in this room that are that have family members that are struggling outside, having sexual desires outside of that marriage relationship. God, I, I pray for them right now that you would free uh, those family members from those desires. But God, I pray for the family members in here right now that you would show them what to say and show them what not to say. Keep their lips sealed when they need to be quiet and give them a boldness. Give them love. God, we repent of anything in our life that would make that, um, that fake gospel of, uh, of straight gospel a, a... God, just get rid of it for us. We pray against that. And God, that we would offer the gospel with our lives to our family members. God, I pray right now for those who are single. God, that you would help them to walk that road. And God, I pray for those who are married that you would help us to walk that road. God, this life is hard. Living in the victory of what Jesus has done on the cross, but not seeing the result yet. God, help us to have our faith grown by doing the work that you have called us to do. God, I pray that you would make this, this church a city on a hill, that you would uh, bring people here because they hear truth and they hear grace preached here. Help us that live that out in our everyday lives. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
you would uh, bring people here because they hear truth and they hear grace preached here. Help us to live that out in our everyday lives. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.